food bloggers. Hi, how are you today? Thank you so much for tuning in to the Eat Blog Talk podcast. This is the place for food bloggers to get information and inspiration to accelerate your blog's growth and ultimately help you to achieve your freedom, whether that's financial, personal, or professional. I'm Megan Porta, and I've been a food blogger for over 12 years. I understand how isolating food blogging can be at times. I'm on a mission to motivate, inspire, and most importantly, let each and every food blogger, including you, know that you are heard and supported. The questions you hear me ask in this episode are genuine, sincere questions because I literally had no idea what supplier diversity was before I had this chat with Rob. Rob is from Contract Legalese. He also has a food blog called Cinnamon Shtick. He brings this very important topic to the table about supplier diversity. He explains what it is, how you can get certified in it as a food blogger, and how it's going to help support your business. Whether you're a minority, LGBT, maybe you have a disability, and speaking to the masses here, most of us are women. So if you're a woman, if you fall into any of those categories, listen to this episode. I think you'll be really pleasantly surprised. This is episode number 441, sponsored by Rank IQ. Virtual Tastemaker Conference is the place where content creators come together online to build community with fellow foodies and brands and learn from top industry experts and experience the magic of Tastemaker. This year's Virtual Tastemaker Conference 2023 theme is monetizing your business. Tastemaker wants to help you learn new and different ways to monetize or how to focus on things you could be doing but could maybe fine-tune to make it even more effective. This event is perfect for those who want to start monetizing their blog or content creation. Not only are there amazing educational opportunities within this virtual conference, but the experience and ability to connect with the community is the best part. You don't want to miss out on this incredible opportunity. Head over to eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources. Scroll down to the Tastemaker logo and find the orange button labeled sign up for virtual Tastemaker. Eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources. Rob Finkelstein is a lawyer practicing for over 20 years in New York City. In 2017, Rob decided to pursue his passion of baking and went to culinary school for pastry arts. After graduating, not wanting to leave the law, Rob got started blogging at cinnamonstick.com, which was also his entry into food photography. He worked with a number of brands and came to represent a lot of food photographers in connection with their contracts and business setups. They all inspired Rob to create an online course about contracts specifically for food photographers. Rob also spent more than 10 years as a volunteer with the National LGBT Chamber of Commerce, where he was the chair of supplier diversity for New York and also a co-chair of the National Legal Industry Council, facilitating opportunities for LGBT-owned businesses with majority-owned companies. Rob, your third time on eBlog Talk. I'm so grateful to have you back here. How are you today? I'm doing well, thanks so much. I'm getting used to having these chats with you. I was just saying before we recorded, we need to like set up a weekly call now. It's so fun. Completely. And I'm hoping I'll get like at my fifth time, like a jacket or something. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Okay. So your last fun fact was great. The raspberries. You're not a raspberry guy. I remember this one. So do you have another one to share with us? I don't know how fun it is, just more like a, a fact of my my own history. 
I actually, like, when people meet me, they're like, no, you didn't do that. I'm like, yeah, I did. I was on the sailing team in college of, like, all the random things in the world. Yeah. Oh, so how was your experience with that? Did you like it? I mean, I went to summer camp growing up, so I did a lot of sailing there. That's That was kind of like my background. I thought it'd be a fun way to meet other people, and it was. Ah. I didn't think it through, though, because I went to college in New York City, so we were sailing on the Hudson River, like, in the winter. Like, it wasn't enjoyable. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. And do you sail anymore, or are those days done? Those days are done. Oh. Now, like, people can sail for me, and I can sit back and enjoy. Yes. I'm with you on that. <laughs> Sounds good to me. It's too much work. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love it. Oh, great. Another fun fact. You came up with another good one. So, oh, <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Okay, so today we are talking about supplier diversity, and you are going to educate me 100% on this, and I'm excited to be educated on it. So, first of all, tell us what your experience in supplier diversity is. How do you know about this topic? Okay, great. So I actually have been immersed in it in the last, I guess, like 15 years or so. And I'll go into it and explain what it is. But basically, I kind of fell into it because for me, myself, when I was working at another law firm, they were asking us to try to start bringing business and all of that. I'm like, okay, like, where am I going to network? What am I going to do? And so I just found like different LGBT organizations. And there was one really for gay professionals. And it turns out that that organization is the sole certifying body of LGBT-owned businesses. And we'll get into all that more and why that matters. But there are basically all these other organizations out there that certify diverse-owned businesses. And so I kind of got like pulled into it early on. And then when I started my law firm in 2013, it was incredibly important to me to make sure that my law firm is certified because both my partner and I are gay and we wanted to make sure that we had that because it's a way to kind of market ourselves and try to drum up business. So it's always been important to me in that respect. In New York, the national organization of the LGBT one has a New York office and runs different programs and stuff in New York. And I, I chaired that for five years and ran all their supplier diversity programming and stuff. I also, for five years, led the legal industry for the entire organization nationally. So I'm well immersed in it and I get it. And as an LGBT-owned business, I, I totally understand what it's all about. And the reason why I actually suggested this as a topic for your podcast is because it really became abundantly clear to me at Tastemaker Conference this past year that this is just missing from the conversation. Mm -hmm. There are some very good heated conversations about diversity and inclusion and all of that, but there doesn't there was no talk about really solutions. And I don't think this is like, you know, the solution, but it's a solution that I think can help a lot of people out. So mm -hmm. that's why I wanted to get this information out there to all of your listeners. Yeah, amazing. I love hearing about your experience with it and just that you're immersed in it. And also, I love that you saw a gap. Like, okay, we're, we're having the conversation, but we're like, what do we do? <laughs> so you're bringing this topic to the table, which I think is amazing. So can you kind of just define supplier diversity for us? Sure. So basically, a diverse supplier is a business that's at least 51% owned by an individual or a group of people that have been historically underrepresented and underrepresented due to ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, disability, 
included in that is also veterans. And it's really an initiative that's undertaken by businesses um, to engage suppliers, vendors, whatever you want to call all of us, that are certified as diverse. So what these large businesses do, both national and global brands, they'll have these supplier diversity initiatives. And that means that they are actively seeking to engage a certain percentage of their budgets with diverse suppliers. So, for example, you know, if a marketing budget for a company, say they have, I don't know, $100,000 in their budget for the year, and they're going to allocate a certain percentage of that to really find diverse-owned businesses to work with. That's so important for all of us because most of us as food bloggers fall into this umbrella of diverse suppliers, either because you're woman-owned, you're LGBT-owned, or minority-owned. I mean, there's so many different factors here. But given that most bloggers are, in fact, women, it's such a smart thing to do to get certified, to, to try to get in and get business with these big organizations. But I do want to emphasize, though, that this is a, it's, it's really more, most brands, most companies, their supplier diversity initiatives fall under their marketing umbrella because it's a way to try to get their procurement, because it's a way to get their, you know, those suppliers in. It doesn't mean you're going to get business just because you're certified. I mean, I just want to be crystal clear about that. Yeah. This is another feather in your cap to try to get you the business. And I'll tell you, it's a way to get those introductions that we're all looking for. And there are, you know, people that we deal with, with brands and, and you know, they're in the marketing umbrella. They may not even be aware that their employer has a supplier diversity program. And it's a great opportunity if we're certified when we're talking to them, hey, this is what I can do. I can develop recipes. I can do all these photos. I can do these videos and blah, blah, blah. And I'm, you know, I'm efficient. I'm quick. You do your whole pitch. And then at the end, and by the way, my business is certified as whatever it is, woman-owned, LGBT-owned, minority-owned, whatever it's going to be. And that might strike a conversation with that marketing person and say, what are you talking about? And you can educate them on it. Mm-hmm. They can go back to their marketing people and their, their you know, more senior management and to the procurement folks who will be super excited because they're looking to fill that. I mean, for them, it looks good, you know? I think most businesses do it because they think it's right and they want to engage diverse owned businesses. But I mean, let's call it what it is. It looks good for them. Yeah. (laughs) And it's a way, it's a way for them to try to hit other markets. I mean, that's the beauty of it. So if they're working with a minority, you know, food blogger in a particular like, you know, cuisine or something, they want someone who's actually involved in that cuisine, maybe, you know, grew up with, with it or whatever it is. And, it just it, it helps them get that perspective for their own marketing. So it's a win-win for them. It gets our foot in the door. I mean, you've got to pitch yourself and do everything you've got to do anyway. It's just, as I said, it's a feather in your cap to try to get the business. And from my experience, it helps to maintain business. How do we get certified? Is that hard to do? No. So it depends on who the owners of the business are. So I'll just use myself as an example here. So my law firm, we're two gay guys. We started a law firm. So we went and got certified by the LGBT certifying entity. And the process is not complex. And their process is built upon the process that was put forth by the women-owned certifying entity. 
It's really a lot of paperwork. You've got to show that you're an actual business. They generally ask for your financials for the last year, really just to see that you are, in fact, a real business. And I mean, that's really mostly it. I mean, in the LGBT space, you have to get some, you know, some attestations from other people certifying that you're a part of the LGBT community. Women owned, you know, you're just certifying that you are, in fact, a woman. (laughs) (laughs) So it's pretty straightforward to do. You know, there's, of course, like there's a fee involved. I don't know how all the organizations work. I know with the LGBT one, if you're a member of the organization, which there are like affiliate chambers throughout the country, or actually the world, if you're a member of that, they waive the fee to get certified. So there's, there's, they definitely want all these organizations, they want all these diverse owned businesses to get certified. So the organizations, the LGBT one is the National LGBT Chamber of Commerce. Their initials are NGLCC because it used to be called the National Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce, but they changed the name several years ago to National LGBT Chamber of Commerce. The women's one is Women's Business Enterprise National Council, and that goes by the acronym of WeBank, W-B-E-N-C. And the minority one is the National Minority Supplier Development Council, which also goes by its its initials, which are NMSDC. So if you're a woman and you're a minority, you can get certified by both those entities. Mm -hmm. If you're also, you know, LGBT, you can get certified by all three. You can do whatever you want. You know, whether it's worth your time and worth the while, that's up to you. But it's great to have at least one of them. And at the end of the day, the brands generally do not care which one you fall under. They generally just want diverse owned businesses. But my own personal opinion is if you're, you know, pulled into one more than the other, I would say go for that. Especially when, you know, food bloggers in a space that is so female dominated, maybe if you do fall under the umbrella of minority or LGBT or one of the other ones, Maybe you want to do that because it could set you apart mm. from all the other women out there. You know, you got to be a little strategic. We're Most of us are women. So it's like we're kind of in this sea of everyone looks the same. And I think we talked about that at Tastemaker too. So anything different outside of just being like, honestly, like white a white woman is going to probably be a little bit more diverse. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I think I think if you do fall under one of those other umbrellas of minority, LGBT, veteran, disabled, any of those umbrellas, go for it get, and use leverage that certification to get your foot in the door with these brands, because that will set you apart from the, you know, standard Caucasian woman that's out there. Yeah. That's not to say, you know, brands are still hiring everyone yeah. and, you know, you got to pitch and make yourself look good and all that. But it helps them. They they will allocate whatever they spend on you to, to fulfill your services. They will allocate that spend to their supplier diversity spend. And it's a win for them. It, they fulfill their, their you know, quotas or whatever numbers they're trying to hit. But it also, as I said, it's just such marketing for them because now they're getting someone who's immersed in that community and help market to that community. So it's a, it really just is so beneficial. And then you mentioned disabilities too. Is there an organization that you, for that specifically? Yes. I believe it's, they changed the name a few years ago. It is Disability In, I-N. Disability In. Okay. Yeah. And if you Google like anything, if you know, I don't know all of them out there. Those are the biggest players, the ones that I've mentioned. Those are the biggest players in the space. But there are other ones too. I believe there's an Asian one. 
whatever sets you apart, get onto Google and and search it out with supplier diversity and see if there's a certifying entity out there because it's it could be very beneficial. What about mental health issues? Would that set you apart or does it need to be like a defined disability? I think it needs to be a defined disability. Yeah. And if that, you know, if that falls, if if your mental health falls under disability there, then maybe that that was would be the certification to get. But yeah. I haven't heard of one just for mental health itself. Let's chat about Rank IQ Friends. Rank IQ is a super awesome and powerful keyword research tool made just for bloggers. You've heard me talk about this keyword research tool before, and I'm going to keep talking about it because it works. I have seen steady organic growth on my own food blog, Pip and Ebby, in 2022 and now into 2023. And the top reason for this is because I have prioritized running my content through this tool. Here are the reasons why Rank IQ works. The keywords you find inside the tool provide great ideas about new articles to write and ways to rewrite existing content. I always find ideas that I never would have thought about on my own. All of the keywords in the database are handpicked, so you won't find keywords in the tool that will not rank. The Rank IQ Optimizer is my favorite optimizer I've ever used. It provides a comprehensive list of words that could help each post rank. And the keywords you find are low competition keywords with high search volume. I found that the lower you go with the competition score, the more likely you will shoot up toward the top of Google, no matter what your DA is. Check it out for yourself. Go to rankiq.com. Now back to the episode. All right. So if we, let's say food bloggers are working with brands and they just want to know if the brand is a professional with supplier diversity connections, like how do we get even find that out? So, I mean, Google, LinkedIn, I mean, all the all the obvious places, go and just search it out. I will tell you from experience, both with my law firm and with with my my blog and having, you know, run stuff uh, locally in New York and all of that, more often than not, people within a company do not really know that there's a supplier diversity program. And there are there are supplier diversity professionals at these at these companies. There, I mean, in some of these companies, it's more than one person. It just depends how big the, the company is and what they're doing. But there are this is like a real full time professional job. Mm-hmm. It is a big undertaking to do this. So there are people out there, and you can find them. And I will tell you, they get inundated with emails and it could take them months to respond and you've got to wait it out and you know be polite email them every once a month or something just to follow up and be persistent but don't get frustrated if it takes a while for them to get back to you they are busy and they're like all usually very stretched out but one of the beauties of these organizations is that they have they all have annual conferences as well as other events throughout the year and you know, depending on where you are, where you live, and you know what's going on locally, I'll you know I can tell you in New York there's a lot going on. And so we, I mean, I ran programs where I brought in supplier diversity professionals from corporate partners, and we did panel discussions. And this way, people could learn more how to get involved, how to how to you know get known to these supplier diversity professionals and engage with them. But then, because it was just a room of like you know 50 people. Everyone would mingle after, and it was you know one-on-one FaceTime with these people, and people made those connections and started getting business. So go to those events. The annual conferences, I've only been to the LGBT one, but I've been to it for like the last 10 years. 
They're amazing. I mean, all the corporate partners are there. They are there. And, and by corporate partners, I mean the, supply, the, the supplier diversity folks who work for these corporate partners are there. That's your opportunity. It's a great thing to just go and get in their faces and say, hey, this is me. This is what I do. And I will tell you, I mean, especially right now, I cannot believe that there are any food bloggers going to any of these conferences. Mm. I mean, you know, when I started raising it within the LGBT one, they were like, oh, that's interesting. Let me connect you with our marketing department. And that's great. That's what you want. Because now the supplier diversity professional knows that you're out there. They know that the services that I'm providing is going to fall under marketing. They're going to connect me with that marketing person. But now that supplier diversity person can keep track and go follow up with that marketing person and say, oh, did anything come of that? You know, did you hire Rob? Did you not? And if they did, the supplier diversity person says, great, and they can keep track of the spend so that they make sure it gets allocated. So it, and it, you know, that actually helps educate the companies internally about these supplier diversity programs. But going to the conferences and those events, they are like key to, to success in this. And just, you know, that's how you get FaceTime with the supplier diversity people. It's so interesting that they keep so busy, but yet certain parts of their organization don't even know they exist. Well, part of it is, I mean, their jobs are insane because they are constantly traveling. So a supplier diversity professional for any big business, they're going to all these conferences. So there's at mm. least like five or six co- annual conferences. So they've got to go to all of those. Then there are other, you know, local events and other things that they have to take part in. So they're doing all that. They have to, you know, keep track of all the numbers and the spend and everything else. And a big part of their job is to educate internally. And you just there's only so much yeah. you know time in a day so yeah. that's 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 part of the gap and you know one of the things that i try to encourage diverse owned businesses to do is to you know when you meet someone at a at a business try to educate them about their own supplier diversity program if they're not aware of it because it goes a long way yeah wow this is so interesting okay so once you get certified i mean obviously you can educate the brands you're working with, like I have the certification. What else do you do with that? Do you get some sort of like badge or like what, what does this mean and what can you do? You're with a it? proud member. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they actually, I mean, I don't know what I, I only know from the LGBT one because that's the only one that I qualify for, but they actually give you an, it's a PDF certificate and it, you know, for, I forget if they're good for two years or four years now. I forget what they do. But you have to renew it every whatever it is, whether it's a year or two years, whatever it is. Yeah, you, you know, you just submit your documents again because they just want to see that you are still in business and all that's all they're really looking to do to make sure you're still out there and you're and that you're still majority diverse owned, meaning at least 51% owned by whatever the diverse classification is. But once you have that certification, put it out there. The brands that are knowledgeable about supplier diversity, they'll they'll notice and it will make it more memorable for them. And that might entice them to get in touch with you. Or if you get in touch with them, they'll have a better understanding. Oh, okay. I mean, for me, I put it on my blog. If you go, my blog is Cinnamon Stick. If you go on there, on the right-hand column, I have on there that I'm certified by NGLCC. This way, it's just out there. And I'll tell you, it's helped me. It's it's mm-hmm. helped me maintain some business, which I was like really surprised about. But when I started my blog, 
it was one of the first things I did was I got certified just because I thought, okay, that will differentiate me from everyone else. And it worked. I got work very early on from a brand and they didn't know that I was certified. They hadn't really explored my, my blog. They just saw me on Instagram. But once they made that connection, they were really excited. And I actually put it out there on social media. I put it on Instagram that I'm certified and that got me a little more buzz. Mm. So it's, it's, you know, it's all about marketing. Yeah, this is so interesting. I'm like super intrigued. I can see this being very popular because people do want to be diverse, right? Like we want to be inclusive and, and this is a huge thing right now. So I absolutely love this topic. And we're all like, we're all women. We, we, I know some food bloggers who have disabilities and like, there are so many categories that I'm thinking that people fall into as we're talking. Yeah. And it's, I mean, again, I just want to emphasize, this doesn't mean you're going to get business, but it's a way to get your foot in the yeah. door so that you can yeah. have equal footing to, you know, sort of stand up right. and pitch equally with the Caucasian woman who is, you know, doing the same thing. You know, if you're doing this, it, it as well or even better and you've got the diverse check mark for you, that might be helpful for the brand. I mean, I will tell you from my own experience with my law firm, we were contacted, I guess it was like five years ago, by an Ivy League university to really just pitch to do some work. And I was like, how did they find us? Like, we're a two-person law firm. They Googled and they saw that we were certified. And that was important to them. And so it came down to us, a woman-owned law firm, and a huge global law firm. And we got it because, you know, the certification helped us get our foot in the door. And then we went in and dazzled them and they were impressed with our knowledge and, and what we do. So it's been a phenomenal relationship. We would never have gotten our foot in the door without that certification. Yeah. So it can be so valuable. And it's the same thing, as I said, with the food blogging space. I mean, I got ongoing work from one client because they were like, oh, that's great. And, you know, they were happy with my work. So that helped maintain the relationship. So this really can lift up our space as a whole, I think, right? Just from what you're saying? It can. It's you know, it's a little tricky in our space because it is so female dominated that, you know, if every single food blogger goes out and gets certified by WeBank, the women mm, certifying entity, yeah. it's like, okay, well then there's there's no differentiation with respect to the bloggers at that point, but it's helpful for the brands because then Generally, brands will only allocate spend to a diverse-owned business if they're certified. They're not going to just take your word for it that you're a woman-owned business. So, you know, it's still very helpful for the brands to be certified. But within the food blogging space, you know, just with the respect to food bloggers and some some people feeling left out because they are diverse. Not they're okay. There might be women, but they're also diverse on top of that, and they're not. They're feeling discouraged or whatever. That's why I suggest that they get certified by whatever other certifying entity would work for them other than just the woman one, because that might be a way to sort of leverage and get, you know, set yourself apart from all the women food bloggers. Yeah. What else are we missing? This is such an interesting topic, and I'm just going to have to lean on you a little bit to tell me if we're missing anything in this conversation. No, I mean, it's really, I mean, this is really just like a very broad overview of it. There's, you know, there's not too, too much more to learn. I suggest for anyone out there who's interested in getting certified, go look up those organizations. 
and just search, you know, women-owned, diverse-owned, whatever, just Google supplier diversity, you'll find all the organizations. Again, the biggest ones are WeBank, NMSDC, and NGLCC. Those are really the, the biggest ones out there, but there are other ones like that Disability Inn, and I believe there's one for disabled veterans as well, and I forget the name of that, but if you Google it, you can find it. But it's it's really not a complex thing to do, and I can tell you just from like the from my experience in New York, you know, we have ongoing um, networking and, and different kinds of programs. So it's all LGBT professionals networking with one another and all of that. But people from the corporate partners show up and it's always like it's it, there's always the supplier diversity folks who show up on behalf of the corporate partner. So those are the people that we want to engage with, and that's that's amazing. So it's really just, you know, it can be really good. You never know who you're going to meet and where it's going to lead. I mean, you know, we're in a very niche area of, you know, <laughs> the world here. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's how you're going to meet people also. So it's worth getting involved with those organizations just because they do have other events, and there are events where corporate partners, meaning supplier diversity people, are there. So... I think it's it's worthwhile. And generally when you pay for the membership for the year, then they they seem to waive the the price of certification. So it's definitely worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. I so appreciate that you brought this topic to the table. I think it's really important and a lot of people will have their ears perked tuning in. So thank you for that, Rob. We appreciate you. Yeah, no, I'm again, it's not a you know, huge solution to the problem. And there is a problem and anyone who says otherwise is just like, you know, covering their eyes and their ears. But, but it's, I think it's one, one proactive thing that people can do is to go get certified and leverage it, use it, educate the, you know, if you, if you're contacting someone through social media or contacting a brand, you're dealing with someone who's just really probably running their social media stuff and may not be aware of a supplier diversity program. So mention it to them. Say, hey, you know, whatever your pitch is, at the end, never lead with the fact that you're certified. You want to lead with your, you know, what you can do for them and your, your general pitch. But at the end of it, say, by the way, I'm also certified and that could really help, you know, your brand's supplier diversity spend for the year. So, you know, it's, it's worth doing. Yeah, definitely. It's a way to, to just compete with everyone else. And especially, honestly, especially if you are a minority and you can get certified by NMSDC or the LGBT one, I mean, that's a way to differentiate yourself from the, you know, white female out there. So The sea of women. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a tough, you know, as I was sitting at Tastemaker and it just, I was like, wait a minute, there is something people can do. But I'm like, you know, it's, it is complicated because it is predominantly women. So everyone already falls under that umbrella of, you know, being able to get certified as a woman-owned business. That's why I suggest if you fall under one of the other umbrellas, yeah. I would go for that to really differentiate yourself. But it's it's tough because, you know, because it is predominantly women, whereas, you know, in other industries, it's that's usually not right. the case. Right. It is so women weird, are the isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But I think it's, you know, I think it's something people should be aware of and, you know, take advantage of it because, I mean, listen, I have a a very small following. I'm, my photography and stuff is still like, you know, it's okay. It's not great. I can develop recipes, but like, you know, I've been able to get work. (laughs) So, and it's been helpful to be certified because it's helped me to maintain some of those clients and they've been amazing to work with. So it's great to have. 
Oh, good. I love that you've had a good experience with it. And then, like you said earlier, it's just like a way to get your foot in the door with some people, some brands, right? Which is what a lot of us want. <laughs> it's what we want. And it also it helps the brands. And you're going to help mm-hmm. educate those brands. I mean, you know, we all get frustrated. Listen, it's important to me because I worked for a law firm for 11 years at a law school. And I experienced it. You know, yes, I appear as a white male so that, you know, people think, oh, you've never had any issues. Well, yeah, I have because I was out and it was an issue. And I get it. I've been there. And it's, it's not fun and it's horrible. And, you know, that's why it was so important to me to, to find a way to be, you know, on equal footing yeah. and, and not treated poorly or anything. So I think it's so important. And I think it's, you know, especially in this space where there really is an issue, you know, with the, the white woman getting a lot of work and a lot of, you know, other people saying, hey, I'm here too. And it, yeah. this is a way to get your foot in the door. I think as a white woman, I know I've experienced in the corporate world, just not having equal footing and like some really bad icky memories of just, you know, pay and all of of some other things. But I think we can like emotionally relate to that as white women, even though our space is flooded with kind of, we all look the same, but we can still remember those times that we were on unequal footing and it didn't, it wasn't fair and it was hard and yeah, like I even get emotional thinking about it. Like, oh gosh, that stirs up some yucky memories. <laughs> I, I hear you. I mean, that's I like. I don't even want to talk too much about it. I know. It's just like, I don't want to go back to those times. Yeah. Like, they, yeah. they were not fun. It's like you know, you're in like a corporate environment. Environment you expect better behavior, right. and it's just like, oh my god. And, and honestly, I think these days things are a drop, not much, but a drop better yeah. than they were like 20 years ago when I was first starting out at a law firm, but yeah, it's, it's not fun. And I, this is a way to, to kind of, you know, really leverage who you are, which I think for these brands is so important, especially when, when you are like, you know, developing recipes and taking photos and a way to market to people who relate to you. That's what the brands really need. I mean, they don't need to market to the white woman that they've been doing that, you know, for the last number of decades, they need to market to everyone else as well. And, it's a great way for all of us to get in there and do that. Oh, I love this. I feel like I could keep going, but I'll stop there because I could get into <laughs> like a subtopic, but this was great. Is there anything we've missed, Rob, before we start saying goodbye? No, I think, I think we really gave the umbrella and I, you know, maybe I can, I can help you with the show notes and so that we have links to all the organizations. Yeah, that would be amazing. I think that would be helpful for people to take a look at and look also locally for the same organizations. It, you know, when you go on their websites, I think you'll be able to find if there's something local, if they have like a local chamber or whatever they call it, because it's, it's definitely worth getting involved. Yes, definitely. Well, thank you again. And do you have either a favorite quote or words of inspiration to leave us with today, Rob? Well, my words of inspiration, I'm going to go back and put my lawyer hat on and just say this. Contracts are sexy. (laughs) I think that's something people need to bang in their head because people get so nervous about contracts and signing them and reading them. and They kind of throw their hands up and so they avoid them. And no, they're sexy. (laughs) And if you can just give me one second to explain that. You know, people think of contracts as like a dirty word. It's not. The dirty word is dispute. And that's the whole point of a contract is to avoid a dispute. And 
you know, think about it. When you're negotiating a contract, you're getting it all out there, the wants, the needs. You might have a little pull, push and pull here and there, maybe even a little argument over it. But at the end of the day, you're going to come to terms to an agreement and you've hashed it all out. It's like, you know, before you entered into a relationship, if you did that with your partner, you'd probably, you know, avoid a lot of issues down the line. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the point. That's why I'm saying they're sexy. That means you sat down with your client and hashed it all out and you came to terms and you have a roadmap of how your relationship's going to work. And that's why I say contracts are sexy. You made a compelling case. Yes, I think we do need to like just rewrite that script in a lot of our brains because a lot of us don't think that. But I'm going to, I'll repeat your words when I have to write a contract next time. (laughs) Thanks for that. Good. (laughs) Um, We'll put together show notes. We'll put all those links that we talked about so you can go reference those if you would like at eatblogtalk.com forward slash contract legal ease three since this is your third time your jacket will be in the mail after time number five so you have two more times rob (laughs) remind everyone where they can find you online and social media etc sure so all my contract related stuff is at contractlegalese.com which is also the same handle on instagram at contract legal ease e-a-s-e at the end and my blog is Cinnamon Shtick, which is also on social media at Cinnamon Shtick. Thank you again so much for being here, Rob. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you in the next episode. Food bloggers, real quick, want to hop in to tell you about an exciting opportunity for all of you travel lovers out there. A lot of you foodies are also big on exploring our country. If you plan on exploring New York City anytime soon, this might be a great opportunity for you. And if part of your audience relates to travel, they could benefit from this as well. The New York City Borough Pass is the best way to experience the unique cultures and stories of New York City. This sightseeing pass for sustainable cultural travel provides access to a diverse roster of attractions, tours, and performing arts venues in each of the five boroughs of New York City like the Alice Austin House Museum, where you can explore the life of the LGBTQ icon, or the 250-acre New York Botanical Garden that houses over 1 million living plants, or the City Reliquary Museum with its quirky and hyper-local New York City collections. The best part? Eat Blog Talk listeners receive a 10% off of 1, 3, 7, and 90-day options with the code EATBLOGNYC, so you can choose the perfect duration for your adventure in the city. What are you waiting for? Get your New York City Borough Pass today and discover the beauty of the people and places that make New York City one of the world's most vibrant and exciting destinations. Go to nycboroughpass.com to get yours now. nycboroughpass.com. Use code EATBLOGNYC. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Eat Blog Talk. Don't forget to head to forum.eatblogtalk.com to join our free discussion forum and connect with and learn from like-minded peers. I will see you next time.